This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Welcome back to the MLB.com StatCast podcast. I'm your host, Mike Petriello. Uh, Matt Myers is on vacation this week, so joining me here in the studio, uh, my friend and colleague, Tom Tango. Tom, thanks for joining me. My pleasure. Thanks for uh, you know the long walk, uh, 40 feet down the hallway from your desk, to talk about some cool StatCast stuff. Um, and if you don't know Tom, Tom is our, our senior data architect, and Tom is really the, uh, the one helping us come up with all these really interesting StatCast stats. Uh, for example, barrels. We've talked about barrels a lot, and I think barrels have been pretty successful. And if, we haven't, if you haven't listened to the show before and you don't know what barrels are, uh, we really define that as kind of the best combination of exit velocity and launch angle, basically the best thing a hitter can do. Uh, the way we defined it as the combination of those two things that had an, ex- an expected batting average of 500 and an expected slugging percentage of 1,500. And, you know, the averages for those things, that's just the minimum. The average is actually like a batting average of about 800. So really, if a hitter can do this, he's just completely set. And the best guys at getting barrels are the guys you'd expect, Miguel Cabrera, Nelson Cruz, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, and I-, I think barrels have been pretty well received. We had one of our listeners, Casey, kind of run with barrels and do barrel fit, which I thought was cool. And, you know, we'll do something similar like that. But I think if there's one thing about barrels, uh, they're almost a little binary, wouldn't you say? Because it's either everything is either a barrel or it's not. And if I have a ball that has an expected average of 450, it's not a barrel, but it's still good. If I have a ball that has an expected average of 100, that's not so good, but it's still not a barrel, right? Right. So barrels was like the first step to try to get everyone on board as to what we're trying to do. And then it's exactly like you're saying with the barrels is like we need more. So barrels is the first one. And then it's like what's an almost barrel, a near barrel. So we call those solid contacts. So you see, we came up with six different batted ball classifications here. And we're going to go through them all, but I have to ask, why why six, right? Why not three? Why not 30? Like, what was the thinking that went into, like, these six being the six we're going to go with? Uh, Really, I just let whatever the data is saying, that's what I'm trying to tease out of it. So uh, the barrels was the first one. And then I knew that we needed the near barrel because uh, there's such a big gap between uh, an out and a, an almost barrel. So once the the solid contacts came in, then we're looking to see, well, where else will we get uh, some distinction? And the line drive uh, concept is where the next step would come in. So the idea is that, okay, what's a line drive or what are, what are the properties of a line drive that might be, that we might be able to tease out of the uh, speed and launch angle? So once that one came into place, then it kind of like drew a line uh, because once those three are are in, there's like not much left other than to see uh, what's left. And once you hit hit the the weak contact ones, which are those under 60 miles an hour, then there was just two zones left, those that you hit under and those that you hit over. And I think those six ends up being something very easy to explain because – it's exactly the way a uh, fan would see um, the, the results. Yeah, I think it uh, 
obviously this is an audio only podcast, but I think it really works well when you see it visually. Because uh, you're right, the data uh, really does kind of tell the story. If you look at our chart of combination of velocity and angle, and you color code it by expected uh, outcomes, there's a pretty strong, you know, red line here and a, a red spot here for barrels. And I'll tweet that out with the image when we, we show that. So I want to go through each of these just real quick and kind of explain what they are. Uh, but quickly before we do, I think we need to explain uh, one stat which we're going to use, which is uh, weighted on base average, uh, WOBA, WOBA. There's a couple different ways to call it. And really what that is, it's, it's a stat Tom you know, had a hand in creating years ago, but it's it's uh, similar to on base percentage just in the sense that everything gets credited more for being better. So it's not just did you get on base, it's how did you get on base. So a home run is more important than a triple, is more important than a double and down the line. So you really get uh, more credit for doing you know better things in terms of getting on base. So for example, we used barrels and we said you know batting average and slugging percentage because people know a 500 batting average is good. It's really easy to get across, but the expected weighted on base for barrels is actually over 1,400. I mean, it's massive. And if you compare that to the average uh, WOBA on contact in baseball in 2016, it was 363. So it's not a kind of similar scale as on base percentage. So if the average was 363 and barrels was over 1,400, that should really tell you how unbelievable barrels are. Like, it's just, un- if you can do it as a hitter, you're great. And if you can avoid it as a pitcher, you're great too. So that's one thing Rich Hill does really well. Kyle Hendricks does really well. They avoid these high contact batted balls. So as we go through each of these other classifications here, we can tell you what the you know uh, the average weighted on base is for each of them. And just remember the average across all batted balls, 363, right? So if barrels is the best thing, the next best thing we've kind of defined here is, as uh, solid contact, and that's just missing being a barrel. We've called it near barrels, right? Maybe a little bit too high, a little bit too low, maybe a little bit too soft. Uh, and about the same amount of batted balls uh, are, are kind of in the barrels bucket and the solid contact bucket. We had about 6% of batted balls being barrels last year and about 5% being solid contact. So that's kind of, it's still really good. The expected outcome uh, is a 688 WOBA, but it's just not quite there for those reasons, right? We just, you, you haven't quite made it perfect, like close enough. It's still good, right? Right, exactly. So if you remember, the, the thresholds uh, ends up being for a barrel of at least a 500 batting average, at least 1,500 slugging, which is really uh, at least a 900 or so WOBA. So a solid contact is something that just misses that 900 level. Uh, the 900 level is important because if all you do is hit a single, that's a 900 WOBA. So the solid contact just misses on that threshold. So that's why it's it's an almost barrel. Uh, you missed it by a couple of degrees. You missed it by a couple of miles an hour just to meet that threshold. But it's still... It's still really good. Still so you, really you, good. you might almost, like, obviously, we're breaking this down into six things. But uh, we can kind of... You'll see here as we go through them, three of them are really good. And three of them are really bad, depending on your perspective, if you're a hitter or a pitcher. So you might almost want to then maybe combine them and say, well, what about, you know... Did he avoid uh, batted balls in these two categories or in these three categories? And uh, I think that'll tell you a lot about a hitter or a pitcher. The third one I think is interesting. Uh, we're calling this flares and burners. And I find this one maybe the most fascinating because it's still really, really good. You know, the average will buffer this 633, you know, that's much higher than the average across baseball of 363 on all batted balls. So it's something that's really uh, productive. But I don't look at this so much as a skill, right? Like if you if you barrel up the baseball, you, that's a skill. Like Miguel Cabrera had a ton of barrels because Miguel Cabrera, fantastic hitter. But I feel like these flares and burners, they kind of occupy this weird space where, yeah, they're great, they're, they're hits and they're productive, but they're bloops, right? Like you, you have the perfect donut hole combination where it gets over the infielder, doesn't quite get to the outfielder. So yeah, it's productive, it can win you games, but nobody's really trying to do that, right? Right. The best way to think about the flares and burners is that you missed on either the speed or the angle. So you got one of, one of the two, but you didn't get both. 
you got both, you would get a barrel or a, a solid contact. If you miss on one of them, then it's a flare or burner. So you might have hit it hard, but at a low launch angle. So you still get a, a decent amount of success, but just not great success. Or you got the right launch angle, but you didn't get the speed. So that allows the ball to fall in between the infield and the outfield, so you still get your singles. So it's still a, a very positive outcome. Uh, it's just not uh, at the barrel level. Yeah, this is, it's I guess, one of the, the most beautiful and most infuriating things about baseball is here you've done one thing uh, wrong, right? You didn't square it up right or you didn't hit it hard enough, but you're still going to succeed because that's just the way the game is. Like nobody is going to put fielders, you know, 200 feet from home plate, like in short outfield, like we do on my softball team. You know, that's just not the way it works. Because if you could show you could do that every single time, you know, somebody would do that. But it's it's an accident. You didn't mean to do these things. But still, you know, how many great moments in baseball history were just bloops, flares, right. accidents almost. Mariano Rivera, right? Oh, that's exactly right. Game seven in 2001. So those three categories we've gone through so far, barrels uh, are about 6% of batted balls, solid contact, about 5% of batted balls, flares and burners, 25% of batted balls. So a quarter of batted balls are, you know, successful for the hitter, uh, but not really on purpose, which I think is really interesting. Um, so those are the three that are really good for the hitter. And we've also got three that are really good for the pitcher, okay? Uh, the first one we've kind of defined here as, as either, you know, sky high or you hit under it. Basically, pop-ups are really high fly balls. Uh, that's about another 25% of balls in play. <laughs> the weighted on base average for that, 0.081. That's real bad. You know, batting average, 0.064. And I can tell you, I've watched a lot of these, like the hits. Like, how did a guy get a hit here? It's we've created our own blooper reel. It's fantastic. If you get a hit there, it's because the outfielder lost it in the sun. The outfielder ran into the other outfielder. There's almost no way that you can do this and find success unless somebody else screws up really badly. Uh, so, you know, if you can get a ton of pop-ups like that, it's almost another strikeout because the expected outcome is so poor. Right. right. Exactly. And and that's exactly it. Where right where the border where the uh, the the near barrel, the flare and burner, and the the sky high meet. That's where like where all the fun is because. It's a pretty strong line there, and because, simply because of the way the fielders are positioned. Um, so any of those are like really uh, the really really bad luck ones. Uh, but then as as you go higher on the launch angle, those become really really bloopers. Uh, sorry, uh, easy pop ups. Um, so those are the ones where the WBA is almost zero. So like at we could potentially, if we wanted to, even break down uh, these. Uh, these that they hit under into like their own hit under, like really hit under. So, but we're not going there yet. Uh, we're just trying to present it in a way that's easy to consume. Yeah. What I really like about the, uh, the hit under is that, um, I like to find guys who have really high strikeout percentages and really high fly ball percentages. Like Max Scherzer is a great example because you can almost combine the two. You know, I mean, you still have to count on your fielder to catch it and you don't want the ball to go out of the park. But since these balls have such poor outcomes, they're almost more strikeouts. You can almost say, well, he had a 30% strikeout rate, but then also a 15%, you know, hit under rate. All of a sudden he looks a lot better than a guy who had a 35% strikeout rate and give a ball out of line drives. Right. right. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Uh, the these uh, when you hit under the the success rate is very very low. It's the lowest of of all the categories. I mean, you're better off hitting a ball under 60 miles an hour than you are hitting under a ball that's not a barrel or a, or a flare. Uh, but being able to do that consistently is a little bit tough because if you give up just a couple extra miles an hour or, or a couple of degrees lower, suddenly uh, you go from a WOBA of zero eighty one to 633. That's a big difference. <laughs> it's a big difference. So that's why only guys like Scherzer can really, like really great pitchers can get away with doing something like that. That's why, you know, pitchers 
for the most part, they try to be ground ball pitchers because they know the margin of error is much greater on when you hit uh, when you top a ball than when you hit under it. Yeah, the next one actually, uh, our next bucket is is as you said, topped or you know ground balls basically. Thirty six percent of batted balls, non bunt batted balls, were were grounders last year. That's the highest amount in any of our buckets. And as you'd expect, uh, there's no slug on the ground, and we say that a lot. The uh, the woba outcome for that one seventy four. That's pretty poor. You know, there's no slugging. A batting average is 188. You can get a grounder that goes up the middle. You know, you can get lucky on a ball that misses the fielder. Um, but it's it's not great to hit grounders. And, you know, we're not accounting for speed here, I guess. Like Billy Hamilton finds probably great to hit grounders. But, uh, you know, we've talked a lot on the show and, and on Twitter about just elevating the ball. Hitting the ball on the ground with the quality of infielders in Major League Baseball, it's not going to get you that far. And so it's really interesting to see how many guys, you know, can get those grounders. I mean, this is a big part of why Zach Britton is so dominant. He gets strikeouts, but he also gets these really poorly hit grounders that go to uh, Machado or J.J. Hardy. And uh, you can see why the numbers are so low here. I mean, if you're a pitcher who gets grounders, uh, that's a really good thing to do. I mean, it's, it's, it's outstanding. Yeah, it's from the hitter, it's low risk, low reward. And same thing for the pitcher. Uh, he, to him, it's he, that's what he's after because the batter is uh, trying to really kind of avoid it. But they also, like I said, they don't want to hit under the ball because they know that's a, a really poor success rate. So the hitter's kind of like in a tough situation where he doesn't want to hit too under the ball, but he knows that he needs to hit it a little bit under in order to get uh, the 28 degrees uh, of launch angle to be able to to start getting his barrels. Yeah, some of this stuff is so low outcome for the hitter that if you don't have two strikes, you're, you're almost better off just swinging and missing rather than making bad contact and, you know, live the fight another day, get a more hittable pitch. Uh, and then the last uh, bucket we have here is simply weak contact. And uh, we've defined that it doesn't even matter what angle you hit it at because you just didn't hit it hard enough. What did you say? I think 60 miles an hour was the threshold for that. Right. If you hit it below 60 miles an hour, uh, you know, you got to get really, really lucky or be really, really fast to, you know, get a hit out of it. So the, the expected outcome for that is a 119 Woba. That's a 128 batting average, a 139 slugging. That's that's just the worst thing you can do, basically. Yeah, as yeah, a, it's, as a it's, you completely miss, miss hit it, but baseball being what it is, uh, you still have a chance to yeah. get on base. It's not zero, is it? <laughs> not zero, and it's better than hitting, really hitting under the ball. So we've defined these six things, and I think they're really cool. And like I said, they really work well visually. You know, we'll, we have tweeted out some of these, and we will more. And you know, the kind of the question is, well, you know, what do you do with them? And I think you've kind of already made good progress with that with some of the, uh, the pitching charts that we've put out, which is you can look at all six of these combinations and say, okay, well. How many padded balls does a pitcher give up or does a hitter get in each of these? So if you can say, well, for example, uh, the average uh, 6% of batted balls are barrels, and I can go say Miguel Cabrera has you know, 11% barrels or whatever the actual number is, well, suddenly you know that he's doing something really well, and you can see the combination plotted out, exit velocity versus launch angle. Billy Hamilton, for example, probably has a ton of ground balls and weak contact, and that tells you a lot about the hitter. And since we're going to be able to have an expected outcome on every single ball in play, we can plot all of these and then you know that's really going to tell us something about luck about skill about what did happen about what should have happened that's what i'm super excited about yeah to me the what i really like is simply i get a profile for the hitter so you get uh david freeze when you look at his chart you see that he's he must be intentionally really trying to either square the ball or just hit over the ball because he barely has any balls that he hits under uh so it, and and he had good success uh, there's other hitters uh, where they hit under the ball drastically, but again, they also have great success. So each hitter is finding his own, uh, you know, optimum 
plane to in order to swing and and get these outcomes. So to me, it's just interesting how they do it. Yeah, I really like it from the pitcher side too, because it proves that there are pitchers who have skills in getting you know weekly hit fly balls or just avoiding barrel contact entirely. You know, if if they give up hard contact, it's at the right launch angle, so it doesn't hurt them so much. Uh, so that's just the most exciting thing to me. So I, there's two other things I wanted uh, I wanted to talk about today. We are uh, we've done a lot with catch percentage, right? So for example, uh, a batted ball based on the launch angle, or excuse me, uh, batted, based on the uh, the distance away that a fielder had to run and the hang time he had to get there. How likely was it to be a catch? You know, sometimes well, that's a ball that 90% of the time isn't out. Sometimes it's a ball that 10% of the time isn't out. By using that, we can actually say, well, this fielder did a great job, or this fielder did a really poor job. So right now, we are really just doing what I said, which is distance and hang time. Uh, and I think we know that there's some issues with with the wall. Right. Obviously, if you run into the wall, that adds more difficulty. And we don't have that included yet, but we're, we're going to in the future, in the near future. And I, I'm just interested in kind of, uh, you know, opening up the thought process here. Like, how how will we account for that? Like, how does that get into the numbers? It's kind of a complicated thing, right? Right. Uh, so even before the wall, what led to the wall is simply the, the path that the fielder is going to run, whether he's going to run in, run back, run to the side. So those we already know uh, has an impact. So those we've been able to quantify exactly like how much harder uh, it is to run back to catch a ball as opposed to running in. But then in conjunction with the running back is, okay, he's running back, but he might be running back into the wall. So now we have to, again, we're, we're just going to let the, the data speak and we're going to see what the data is saying in terms of at what point is the wall coming into play where the fielder has to now slow down. So we're going to now have to measure, uh, is it a wall ball if, let's say, Billy Hamilton dives and lands right at the base of the wall, or he has to slow down and kind of turn around a little bit to, to play the ball off the wall. So that's the kind of, you know, the exciting thing that we're going to be finding out as to exactly when does the wall come, and come into play. Well, it's interesting. So it's not just the fact that the wall is there, so you couldn't run the distance. It's also that since you know the wall was there, you had to slow down so you don't kill yourself. Right. And that, that impacts uh, a lot of things, I guess. Right. Yeah. So that's fascinating. And then obviously different ballparks have different dimensions. You know, think about Fenway, you think about how short it is in Houston. Uh, so I think that what we have now is, is a good first step, but obviously that's, that's going to be a big difference, I think. Right. Exactly. Like if you look at some of the plays, especially like a great fielder like Lorenzo Cain, uh, you see like some of the balls that land for hits. If you go on Savant, you'll see a couple that really stand out and you're thinking, well, how could he not have caught that? But when you look at the video, it's because it hit the wall. He had to slow down. He had to play it off the wall. Uh, so it's it's important to try to highlight those so that we know that, you know what, that wasn't really an opportunity for him to make a play. Uh, so... It's just going to be a, a, another step in, in, in our, you know, in our trek and trying to find out, uh, you know, the good fielding measure that we're that we're after. Yeah, and I guess we also have to think about um, <clears throat> robbing home runs, right? If you if you you know positioned yourself properly and you were able to jump and you catch the ball eight feet in the air or whatever it was, that's that's probably some extra credit because some of those I think right now aren't showing up as being outstanding plays uh, because we're not we're not accounting for that yet. Right. right, like in some of the plays, like the home runs, we're simply discarding them because they're we're treating it as if they're not in play. However, those balls that just went over the fence, those we should be considered as as part, uh, you know, of the possibility. Again, assuming that the fence wasn't somehow stopping the the fielder from getting to it. So it's there's there's a lot of like little 
you know, uh, a lot of nuances to the data that we have to go through. Yeah, it's uh, th- these are all such baseball-specific problems that you would never think about for another sport where, like, you know, if you're doing it in hockey, for example, the, the rink is always going to be the same size. You know, you never have to worry about that. Right. But in baseball, well, my left field might be 300 feet away. My left field might be 500 feet away, you know, and the wall might be this height. So uh, I think you've said in the past, maybe six months ago, that, uh, you know, looking at the data, you're like, well, we're in, we're in the bottom of the second <laughs> inning right now. So where are we now? Like, top of the third, maybe? <laughs> yeah, probably somewhere in the third inning, yeah. Yeah, okay. We have a couple of runners on. Well, see, that's exciting, right? I, yeah. I don't, I don't want everything to be answered on day one. I like that we, like, we have to put some thought into this and yeah. go down the path. Um, and so, you know, as you can see here, some of the stuff that we are, we've talked about is pretty close to being ready to be more public. And uh, you know, I think between now and opening day, uh, we're still a lot of progress to be made. So I'm excited about that. Yeah, yeah, definitely. We're we're always adding more and more. So I mean, right now we're building out uh, the data warehouse because we have a lot of sources of data. We're trying to put everything together so that. For any one particular play, right now we're like, we have like 500 different pieces of information for each for each play. So now we'll be able to query on those uh, pieces of data to be able to find whatever it is that we need to find. Yeah. So it's going to be very exciting to find out. And we always uh, we always appreciate constructive criticism. You know how to find any of us on Twitter. Uh, so that's our show. Thanks so much for listening. I'm Mike Petriello. Tom Tango, thank you for joining me for a few minutes to talk about the data. My pleasure. Matt will be back next week. Uh, we'll catch you next week on the MLB.com StatCast podcast. <laughs>